Hi, welcome to the More Clients podcast. I'm Ian Brody of ianbrody.com and with me today is Mr. Charles H. Green, the CEO of Trust Advisor Associates and who you may well know as being the author of Trust-Based Selling, co-author of The Trusted Advisor and co-author with Andrea Howe of the recently published Trusted Advisor Fieldbook. Welcome to the podcast, Charlie. Thank you so very much, Ian. A pleasure to be here. And thank you for getting all those book titles and authors right. I appreciate it. It's a, it's a miracle, actually. I had have to admit I had it written down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Charlie, we're going to start talking about you. You're known, obviously, as the the guy who's written more and researched more and studied more and developed more more thinking about trust in business than, than almost anyone else. Um, and I'd like to talk particularly about the importance of trust in marketing and business development. Um, right. And to, to start off, you know, it's probably one of the oldest sayings in the business world that people have to know, like, and trust you before before they'll buy from you. But when you think about it, trust is actually a really big complex and tricky concept you, you write about that quite often and it seems to mean different things to different people and in different contexts so in your experience what kind of trust what, what kind of different elements are needed before a potential client will be ready to hire someone as an advisor right uh, well first let me just underscore what you said there uh, that people have to know like you and trust you before they'll buy that is profoundly true you know that even better than I do um, and you're right also that trust is a big, complex, tricky concept that means different things to different people. One of the most fundamental distinctions that we fail to make is the distinction between trusting and being trusted, uh, which, you know, when I say it that way, you can hear it. It's, mm. it's riskier to trust somebody than it is to be trusted by them, and most people in business are probably more interested in being trusted <laughs> yes. than they are in trusting. <laughs> And, and that's the point of your question, and, and that's fine. So let's go there. Let's talk about what it means to be trusted, what it means to be trustworthy, what it takes for people to trust you. Mm. Um, we have uh, uh, Rob Gelford, David Maester, and I in the uh, uh, the trusted advisor originally developed the notion, which we'd gotten elsewhere, of the trust uh, the trust equation, mm. which basically says there are four components of trustworthiness, and you can think of them conceptually distinctly. You can measure them separately. You can work on them separately. Very briefly, they are credibility plus reliability plus intimacy divided by self-orientation. And if we just take the numerator first, credible, I believe what he says, reliable, I can depend on him to do what he said he would do, ones with thoughts, ones with actions. That third factor, intimacy, kind of unusual in business, but it really goes to do I feel safe and secure having conversations about tricky issues with this person? Mm. Uh, would I share my agenda with them? Do I think they understand where I'm coming from? Now, all three of those, if your clients view you as you know highly credible, highly reliable, and intimacy capable, if you will, then to that extent, you're trustworthy. Then we have this factor in the denominator, uh, self-orientation, which means basically the more you're focused on yourself, the less likely you are to appear trustworthy to others. Mm. And it really emphasizes this key notion that the ability to concentrate and focus and pay attention to other human beings is is profoundly critical to um, uh, to the notion of trust. And we, we set it up that way in, on purpose to have sort of triple the weight for that particular factor. Right. And in many ways, people can pick up on that, can't they? The, uh, it doesn't matter how many clever body languages co courses you go on. It's very difficult to, to fake being interested in someone. You have to genuinely be interested in someone. Well, that's right. And I mean, interesting, if you talk to really good uh, salespeople who are also of the conniving type, mm. 
uh, or good con men, they will tell you that the best way to con somebody, the best way to sell somebody against their will is to really believe in what you're selling and what your con is. <laughs> so it, it is hard to fake. You're absolutely right. And, and one of the implications of that is, frankly, we all ought to probably trust our gut instincts a lot more than we do. Mm. Uh, people are not that sharp to be able to pull the wool over us unless we're willing. Mm. You know, it's, it's actually it's interesting you mentioned that kind of intimacy and personal relationship side of it because in my experience a lot of professionals are pretty good when it comes to the credibility side um, and not bad at all when it comes to reliability and delivering what they said they would, would deliver but they often feel much less comfortable when it comes to getting close and establishing that personal relationship that intimacy we're talking about it's like they've got to retain right. some kind of professional distance yes um, and I, I must admit it is a challenge for me I'm kind of happier with the technical stuff um, so is this something that, that is this something that people like me can can do to help us, you know, get a grip of and be better at that that more personal stuff? Sure. Well, well first of all, I mean, you just defined the issue for almost all professional right. services business. That's why I have a business because almost all of us as professionals, we are disproportionately, um, you know, with the possible exception of a few professions, like uh, I think maybe public relations is a little bit different. Mm. But uh, consult management consultants, uh, accountants, um, uh, lawyers, uh, uh, most of the professions, HR professionals, IT certainly, uh, have this notion, as you said, that it, it is all about the technical mastery. Uh, it tends to attract people who are at ease in, in mastering technical realms. Mm -hmm. They believe in meritocracies. And they, I think, and I'll include you and me in this. I'll use the word we because I think it's equally true of, of us as it is of all these other folks. Mm -hmm. We don't like the idea that we might somehow be judged on something other than what we spend most of our lifetime getting really great at. <laughs> you know, we want people. I got this d degree and I spent all this time and I got all these certifications. And now you tell me, you know, it's how I smile or how you look at me. I mean, <laughs> yuck. It's just not um, fair, is it? It's just not it's fair. It's just not fair. That's exactly right. Taps into that feeling of, of, of unfairness. You know, but the truth is uh, it, it does. Uh, you have to have all those technical skills, but they are, to borrow the language of philosophy, they are necessary but not sufficient conditions. They are table stakes. They're jacks for openers. Uh, you you have to have them, and, and one of the reasons you have to have them is because nobody in business is going to uh, hire a lawyer uh, or, or an accountant or a consulting firm, uh, even more so, and, and justify to their company, well, I bought him because I kind of like the guy. Uh, that does not, that's socially unacceptable. They might we admit have, that in their darkest hour when they're having a little drink with you afterwards. But, well, exactly. Uh, but, yeah. but up front, and it's very difficult to justify to their bosses. Well, exactly right, and and that's not. I'm not trying to trivialize that one little bit. It is very important what we say to our bosses, and um, we we have certain rules of propriety, and they've been enshrined in in laws and processes and in, in uh, purchasing, and those are very important. We have to be able to justify what we did on rational grounds. But 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 but, the fact is that the emotional decision to buy or not buy from somebody is very much an emotional decision. Uh, there's a catchphrase for it. People buy with their heart and then rationalize it with their brain. Mm. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of truth to that. The, the, the decision to buy is a very visceral, very emotional one. So, sorry for going roundabout. You asked, are there some things you can do? Yes, there are. The good news is, it's a lot easier to teach an accountant, let's say, a few good emotional intelligence, interpersonal skills, than it is to teach a social worker, say, accounting. <laughs> 
that's tough. I mean, it, it is all of us professionals have spent an awful lot of time, not not badly, not badly spent in mastering our craft. Mm. So, yeah, to, to really make it simple, the, the fundamental dynamic that drives all this trust stuff is, is a question of respect, oddly enough, and respect is paid by listening. So to really strip it down to its basics, and we could complicate it, but at its root, it amounts to are you really, really, really paying attention to the person you're listening to, that client, in that moment? And when I say pay attention, I mean are you are – you, uh, uh, freaked out by your own uh, nervous uh, uh, neurotic fears, which makes you unable to focus? Are you cogitating on the next brilliant thing you're going to say mm. after they're finished talking, which makes you unable to focus? Or are you actually really completely, truly listening to that person in front of you? Uh, that That is the highest form of respect, to actually give the, the gift of your attention uh, to, to a client. That combined with the respect of doing a little bit of thinking ahead of time and the respect of humbly, uh, admitting what you know and what you don't know. Um, I think kind of the subtext in all these things is to, to authentically bring what you have legitimately, no more and no less, in an attitude of respect to the client relationship. So if that sounds fuzzy and you know, Beatles songy, it is, you know, but the truth is that's how human beings work too. And then lawyers are no exception. <laughs> well, maybe lawyers. Are. <laughs> uh, but actually, that, as you were saying it, especially on that second one where you said, you know, are you actually really listening or are you cogitating on the next clever thing you're going right. to say? And I think there is a, you know, a real challenge because that's part of the equation as well is credibility. So if you're so focused on building credibility, there's a risk yep. you can stop listening and you fail to build intimacy. You're so, so determined to say every time the client says a key word that you know something about, you jump in and give a clever anecdote that establishes just how knowledgeable you are, but at the same time detracts from, from the relationship you're building. Well, and ultimately it detracts from your credibility too uh, because if the other person feels like, gosh, all this guy wants to do is recite his resume to me over and over and over, uh, what's he worried about? Mm. Why is he insecure? You know, is he covering up for something? Uh, so, ironically, cred even credibility, which we think of as being one of the more uh, uh, rational drivers, has an emotional component to it, and it shows up in things like your confidence and, and you know, are you comfortable enough being silent? Mm. Are you comfortable enough if the client asks a question to just say, no, I don't know that one? Uh, you know, if you're comfortable with that. That tells the other party, wow, and what this person says is something I can believe. They are not trying to snow me at every opportunity. They're not trying to overwhelm me with their credentials. And therefore, when they say something, I believe it. That's very high credibility. So even within credibility, it, it gets kind of complicated. Yeah, it's, it's more subtle than I think many people imagine, the credibility side. Yes, I think mm. so. Okay, yeah. so so let's say you're, you're an experienced consultant or accountant, lawyer, some form of advisor, and you're – you're hoping to build a relationship with a potential client, but you're starting off at ground zero. You don't know them very well um, right. right now. What you know? What are some of the best ways to start building trust with that potential so that you you at least start the journey off on the right foot um, and eventually make it to being trusted enough to hire? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's a great question for all of us, right? We've all got that that issue. Um, I guess if I if you have to boil it down to one thing, and let's try and do that. It would be to uh, have a point of view and to offer it up uh, respectfully. 
And what I mean by that, instead of dialing for dollars and, and, and cold calling or, or shotgunning out, uh, um, you know, presentations or pre-planned marketing plans, give a little thought to the person who, who you're going to be talking to. Uh, at, at his narrowest, um, uh, simplest form in, in direct, call, direct uh, phoning, they say, smile before you dial, which means, you know, pay attention to the person on the other end of the line. Don't just execute randomly. In the realm that we're talking about, much, much higher, it means don't send out a canned proposal. It means don't walk in with all your great lines. It means actually take some time to figure out what you might know about this business, what a reasonable person might be expected to know, and develop a point of view about it. Uh, if you can't say anything about the business you're walking into uh, that it, that doesn't, um, you know, add to the conversation, you know, what good are you doing? Mm. And it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to. You don't have to be an industry expert. You simply have to be able to walk in and say, hey, you know, in my experience. Uh, businesses like yours of a given size or in a given industry, most of you folks seem to be dealing with uh, the following two kinds of issues. And if I had to make a wild guess, I'd bet issue number two is quite critical for you. Is that true? And if so, do you think we might talk about it? Because we have a little experience there. It might be useful. Um, and I call that respect because you're offering something up and you're willing to take no for an answer. And uh, that attitude walking in greatly increases the chance that the other person will listen to you. That, that's really interesting because there are two things there I picked up on. One is uh-huh. the giving it with respect. So you're not wandering in and seeing you've got a problem with your inventory or whatever, um, assuming the other person, arrogantly assuming the other person hasn't thought about it before, doesn't understand, right. doesn't know, etc. You're, you're making an observation. You're careful use of words you know a lot of the clients I, I know in this industry have this sort of problem i'm willing to bet it may be similar with you, you right. know, it's a, you're kind of you're questioning them rather than uh, rather than telling them so so yeah. as you say that's respectful you're not you're not coming over the high and mighty i know everything right exactly and also you're taking a risk i think because yes. I, I remember being told early on um, about being wary of having points of view um, as a <laughs> consultant because it gave you less flexibility to adapt to what the client said. So if the, so, there's a risk as a consultant. You go in and say, well, I, my experience, my, many clients in your industry usually have X issue X or issue Y. Um, is it one of those or perhaps another? And, of course, you might upset them. You, they might decide that your point of view was completely wrong, etc. Right. So there's a bit of a risk there. So you are going out on a limb. Um, well, you you're totally right, and thank you for picking up on that. I um, and and I was taught the same as you. You know, don't take that risk. Don't mm. say anything that they might come back and say, "Well, you know, what do you know? You're nuts. That's wrong. That's crazy. That's incorrect." Um, we were all taught that that the the, the thing to avoid is is uh, doing the wrong thing. Mm. But the truth is, and we'll go all the way back to trust. And this one has to do with trusting. There is no trust without risk. You know, our former president Ronald Reagan is very well known for having used that phrase trust but verify which he supposedly got from a Russian proverb well uh, Reagan may have been many things uh, uh, but a trust analyst he was not (laughs) and uh, if you have to verify it's not trust Mm. if you are trusting it it means that you're not looking for verification you have to take a risk we do not trust people who never take a risk because they're obviously not trusting us and all this trust has to do with this respect and reciprocity. Uh, so in that little vignette that we just talked about that you just picked up on, it's absolutely critical that you take a risk. And in the, the very deeply built-in response 
by all of us humanoids, you know, on the other end of that conversation as well. That was risky of you. Thank you for taking that risk. And I'm not going to treat you badly. Mm. So uh, for, I'd say, 9 out of 10 people, minimum 8 out of 10 people, they will respond either by saying, well, that's right, you know, good good point, uh, let's do talk about that. Or occasionally, this is interesting, they will actually say, ah, everybody thinks that's the issue, but the truth is it's not. This other one is the issue. And you know what? That's actually even a better answer mm. because then it allows you to say, oh, my gosh, the minute you said that, I realize, of course you're right. Wow, I made that same mistake. And you say, everybody makes that, right? Tell me more about that. And at that point, you, you really, you, you are, you are doubling up on the respect and you're saying to that person, wow, I had, uh, I got it wrong. I don't mind admitting it right off the bat. I am interested in your business. Tell me more. Mm. Well, everybody loves to talk about themselves. Everybody loves to educate other people about their business. You know, nine times out of 10, that's a winner. You have showed that you're, you know, able to listen, able to learn, and you are interested in them, and you're off to the races at that. And point. at least you knew something. <laughs> at least you, at knew, least you something. knew something. Yeah. yeah, and as you pointed out, you're willing to take a risk. We don't trust people who never take a risk. Yeah, that is that is that is true. You do again. It's one of these things people pick up from other people that it's difficult to disguise or. You know, you do. If someone's being very cagey, if they're yes. deliberately not not stating what they really think, right? You do you do feel less close to them. I certainly do myself when I if I know that people are just waiting for me to say something so they can agree with it and say a whole load of things. And I know equally as well if I said something completely <laughs> different, they'd agree with that and go down another route. Yeah, it doesn't it's build, true. That really, you're right. It doesn't build trust. And for any of your listeners, this plays out at a systemic company level, too. There was one of the big four, I don't need to mention who, had some work done in, uh, in Latin America, a, a survey, how are we perceived? And one of, the, one of the findings came back for this firm that they were perceived as arrogant. Well, now, if you know accountants, I mean, one of the last things they think mm. of themselves as being is arrogant, certainly not as a whole firm. And, and um, you know, they felt slighted, shocked, offended, horrified, hurt. Uh, us arrogant well turns out all, all that's going on there are the clients saying we can't seem to get an opinion out of you you won't right. express what you think you won't tell us and therefore we decide you know absent any other data we'll call that arrogance well that's what we do if if if, the, if one person doesn't fill in the blank and say what they really think we fill it in for them mm. and you just lost control over what they fill it in so you're better off than taking that risk and speaking yeah Okay, so so you've made that good impression initially, and let's say you've been hired um, by by someone to be their advisor, their accountant, lawyer, etc. Um, right. And you become an established supplier. Um, you've done work with them. What would you say is the key to going further? Because as, as you talked about in the trusted advisor and the, the trusted advisor field book, the, you know there's a level above being a regular supplier where you do become that first person that they call when they when they're thinking about something. They want someone to bounce ideas against. What what are the steps to getting to there? Right. Well, uh, let's let's keep it simple. If if the the right thing to do walking into a new client is to offer a point of view, then I think the single most right thing to do maintaining an existing client is to get in the habit of continually saying, "Help me understand." In other words, it's an opening to another question. You know, I notice this thing is going on over here in your business. Help me understand why that is. Hmm. Or uh, as I understand, as I get to know your business better, it's always struck me, you know, that the receivables are far higher than I would have expected. Help me understand why that is. 
if you use that phrase, what's behind it, of course, is that is that you've already, you know, you've come up with an intelligent question, you have an idea, you are again showing respect and asking to understand the other person's perspective. I think what that says to a client, if you keep doing that over and over, is you're interested, you're curious, mm-hmm. you have value to add, as opposed to, and and I don't know if you were taught this, but I was, you know, turn out the light at the end of the project. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, last one to leave the project, turn out the lights. And uh, unfortunately, we, we, at least in my upbringing, you were always rewarded for high levels of utilization. You were not particularly rewarded for thinking outside the project mm. or for uh, seeing things going on. But that the, you were in the best position to develop new business when you're actually working on um, an existing client. One company has done this fabulously over the years is Bain and Company. Mm. Uh, they enabled by their very positioning uh, work from the boardroom to the shop floor. That sort of gave them psychological license with themselves as well as with their clients to continually say, help me understand what's going on over here. Why does this work that way? Why does that work this way? Mm. And uh, it's a great business. It's doing it with respect rather than arrogance, but also – of course, the very fact you're spotting things that where the client is, if you've spotted it, they're probably feeling, I'm not quite happy with that. So you, you are demonstrating insight at the same time, but you're not kind of uh, showing off as you're demonstrating that insight. Exactly. Insight plus respect. It's uh, that's, that's what it comes down to, right? So in a and way, we, we of course err too much on the inside side. Indeed, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but but just but just a little bit of respect. It's, it goes a long way, I think. Certainly, a certainly huge fun. way. It's yeah. enormous. Yeah. And and also, yeah. you know, given that most professionals, frankly, are rather bad at that side of things, it yes. also marks you out as different. Marks you out as different. It does. I mean, the, this notion of respect and and curiosity is a huge differentiator. Uh, you're absolutely right because most of us don't do it. Of course, if you go, if you look at the curiosity factor, I, I can't remember the exact details, but I'm sure you've seen as well the the findings about uh, the the research they did on why um, businesses kind of left left their suppliers, and it was you know the one percent is death, three percent is they got a better <laughs> deal, etc. And it was right. something like sixty something percent wasn't because there'd been a major screw up or better prices elsewhere. It was right. because of indifference. It was because the current supplier just didn't seem that interested in them. Yes, yeah, and and uh, and of course, if if somebody leaves us because of that, we always feel unfair again. Oh, I didn't do anything wrong. How could you, mm. you know, go with them? Well, you know, how do we lose any relationship in life? It's indifference, as you said. It's uh, uh, true of romantic relationships and friend relationships, yeah. and pretty much any relationship you can think of. Indifference is a killer. I'm, I'm, I'm just reminded now of a, a little um, thing I heard uh, David Maester say, your co-author on The Trusted Advisor, yeah. something along the lines of if the, if the only time you ever speak to your wife is when Johnny's in prison and you have to get him out, then, uh, <laughs> then something's gone wrong. That's not something's a real relationship. Something's gone wrong in that marriage, yeah. right. You know, yeah, relationships are built by talking when there's nothing to talk about. Not when, yes. not just when there are issues and problems, or you know, big important things. It's the it's the idle gossip in a way, or the idle not gossip but chit chat, general relationship building, and um, showing an interest that keeps really keeps is. relationship going. And again, we we tend to uh, uh, shoot ourselves in the foot by saying, well, I don't want to bother them if I don't have something useful to bring mm. to the party and once again we're all focused on you know the content and the expertise and not on the white space between the lines. Yeah. Which is where it happens. Yeah, and that is that is so true. That is so true. Okay, well, we, we are just about out of time. Thanks very much, Charlie. I mentioned at the start that you'd recent, re, um, recently written the Trusted Advisor field book with, uh, with your colleague Andrea Howe. Right. And obviously, it's a follow up to the Trusted Advisor. Um, did you 
and Trust Advisor published what, about 10 years ago, I think. Um, did, did you find anything yes. new has emerged in terms of trust or in those 10 years or, or, or what we're talking about with the field book? It's about tools and techniques and, and, and getting even more practical with it. Well, uh, it is more on the practical side, tools and techniques, but there is one big thing I think that's changed, and it's simply the environment. And it's uh, we the subtitle we gave to the book is uh, you know how to how to develop uh, leadership skills. I don't have it in front of me. You think I know it by now? <laughs> but uh, 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 leadership skills and, and the relevance of trust to leadership. When we first wrote that book. Um, sorry, a comprehensive toolkit for leading with trust. That's our, that's our subtitle. And leadership's key there. When we first wrote The Trusted Advisor, at least in my mind, it was aimed at professional services people in their advisory capacity. Mm. It really didn't have that much to do with, with trust, I mean with leadership. Since then, the world has gotten flat, squished, uh, um, uh, stuck in the cloud, uh, integrated, collaborative, LinkedIn, mm. uh, any combination of words you want to uh, put. But what it means is that the the relevant unit of business is no longer the company, it's the person. And the way that you relate to people is no longer through vertical, hierarchical chains of command. It is through influence, persuasion, and the development of trust. And so the book hasn't changed that much. The concepts haven't changed, but the world has. Mm. And therefore, these trust skills are extremely relevant in a way that they were not 10 years ago to people in any realm of leadership. And by the way, that includes a lot more people than it did 10 years ago. Yeah. It used to be you pick all your leaders and you send them off to Crotonville if you work for GE and Jack Welch would come <laughs> and teach you for all the high potential people. Well, these days, uh, everybody has to be comfortable with the skills of persuasion influence let's call those leadership so um that's the the conditions of change that's my quick answer on it oh excellent okay well i am sure that anyone who's read the original trusted advisor will be rushing out to grab a copy or perhaps using their (laughs) computer to do it on on amazon or wherever right Um, right you know i i think as i said in our our previous chat where we we uh, talked about the the trust quotient um that you know it really is one of the foundation books for the professions um, and my copy I'm, is uh, is in the bookshop. I'm I'm on my way as we speak. Oh, it hasn't it hasn't actually made it to the UK yet to, to my local bookshop in Wilmslow. I did check last time I was ah, in, so I may have to, I may have to resort to Amazon. I do like to to help out the local economy, but of I'm going to have to make yeah. it to Amazon. Well, I'll have to have a word with the publisher about that. That's, uh, that's yeah, mention that bookshop. Absolutely. <laughs> so thanks again, Charlie. Been a real pleasure as ever. And, uh, oh, a pleasure, Ian. I look Thank forward to so speaking much. to you again soon. Cheers, then. Very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now.